This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. Good evening, listeners. Tonight we're going to the ALP conference again. Last week we talked about Labor's new climate action targets and how community groups like Lean and Solar Citizens are pushing for change, you know, keeping the Labor Party up to the mark. Tonight we go to one of the fringe events at that conference, sponsored by the Australian Solar Council. Mark Butler said about climate change, this is the front line and we are on the front line with you. Well, I hope that's true. There is still that sticky problem with coal and gas, and you will hear the Deputy Premier of Queensland, her name is Jackie Trad, on this um, broadcast, saying that the mine, uh, a mine like Adani will go ahead because, as she said, we need the jobs. So that's, I think, an interesting issue for Beyond Zero Emissions people to be thinking about, uh, people who are climate activists, how to get the Labor Party to overcome this problem of the coal workers' versus the clean energy future that we have to have. The speakers in this first segment are Mark Butler, uh, John Grimes and Jackie Trad. And then there are two questions from the audience about that question of coal, which we can't burn, which we can't export, which we have to leave in the ground. been extraordinary. Uh, John, I understand, has received the odd cranky phone call from time to time from government. He's, uh, uh, he's been yelled at on radio. Uh, I remember in Queensland, but he has been utterly steadfast in representing the interests of his members. And that's what a group like Solar Council or any other organisation expects of their Chief Executive Officer to stand up uh, and uh, steadfastly advocate the case for solar power. And the great thing about John's job, it's a pretty easy case to articulate. It's a pretty easy case to advocate. My mum had a solar power sticker on the back of her car when we were growing up back in the 1970s and the 1980s. And everyone really, really thought we were going to make that move, but we just couldn't. Uh, now, though, it is a reality. It's a reality, reality that is cascading over us in spite of all of the opposition you see from the Abbott government. Uh, this has been an extraordinary campaign that has been run over the last little while. I think you all understand why it's been a necessary campaign. Uh, we had, for 12 or 13 years in this country, strongly bipartisan policy in the area of renewable energy. Now, that was no mean feat, particularly given the level of division in the last federal parliament. It was the only aspect of policy related to climate change, although renewable energy is much more than just climate change, it was the only element of policy in climate change that was bipartisan. Uh, and election after election, the Liberal Party went to the election committing to the renewable energy target. Tony Abbott voted for the renewable energy target that Penny Wong put in place in 2009. He went to the 2010 election promising to keep it in place and he went to the 2013 election promising to put it in place. Uh, and we know that that was so much of the reason why Australia became a world leader in renewables. I mean, part is because we have the best solar, the best wind, the best geothermal, and across the south of the continent, the best wave energy resources in the world. It's also in part because we have some of the best scientists in the world. So much of the solar technology being rolled out across the globe was developed in Australian universities, at the risk of picking one, particularly the University of New South Wales but it was also because we had stable policy. 
Uh, so in 2013, as you know, we were one of the four most attractive places on the face of the earth in which to invest in renewable energy, along with the big powerhouses, Germany, China and the US. Investment was growing at an enormous rate, obviously at household levels, as I think the Solar Council is particularly focused on, but also at large-scale level. In 2013, uh, we were able to approve and launch the biggest wind farm in the Southern Hemisphere, the MacArthur Wind Farm here in Victoria, in Lily State. We were also able to launch that, that year the biggest PV solar uh, farm in the Southern Hemisphere in North and Northwest New South Wales as well. We were going gangbusters here in Australia. And then Tony Abbott was made Prime Minister. So Tony Abbott was made Prime Minister. So in 2014, what we saw is while renewables investment soared across the globe by 16%, as Bill said in his speech yesterday, renewables investment at a large scale in Australia plummeted by 88%. 88%. And it would have been fully 100% if there had not been some projects in the pipeline that were being supported by ARENA and the CEFC, two bodies that, as you know, Tony Abbott is in the process still of trying to abolish. So we all, the Solar Council, so many other organisations in this room, Solar Citizens, there was run a fantastic campaign, Lean Within the Party, which I want to talk about at the end of my remarks, and our party, the Greens Party and others, decided to stand up strongly and not take this. You know, renewable energy is a critical part of Australia's future, partly because of climate change, partly because we know that there are real great jobs in this sector, not just in installing and maintaining renewable energy, particularly solar energy. But I've got a factory in the north of, uh, of Adelaide in Jay's jurisdiction where a 150-year-old family appliance company took the decision to build a factory in Salisbury in northern Adelaide, use Australian steel to make the frames for that big solar wind farm at Ningen and Broken Hill. 100,000 metal frames to support 2 million solar panels in that largest solar farm in the Southern Hemisphere. A family company making an investment in the future, recognising the transition in manufacturing from old appliance and car manufacturing that had been the bread and butter of this family company for a century and a half, to a renewable energy future. And they feel that they've had the rug pulled out from under them by Tony Abbott. Well, what we've done is we've held the line in the federal parliament We've had a great discussion within the Labor Party over the last couple of months about what next. As we said with John a couple of months ago, after fixing the controversy around the renewable energy target, we wanted to talk about the future. Because when we went out, people said, well, what's, what's the ambition for 2030? What do you want Australia's future to look like in the energy market? And as you heard over the last couple of days, Bill Shorten's made it very clear what Labor wants the energy market to look like in the future, and that is a market that is dominated by renewables. That is a market which is a cleaner market, a market which sees costs coming down for households and businesses, and a market where households and businesses have much more control over their energy generation, their energy storage, and their energy use than we ever imagined was even possible. That in no small part is due to the work that organisations in this room have done. And I can't thank the Solar Council and Solar Citizens enough for the steadfast way in which they've advocated the cause of renewable energy. I want to finish my remarks just by talking about LEAN. Uh, the Labor Environment Activist Network has been around in the party for a few years. Uh, in a 120-year-old party, that's not very long. That's not very long. But it has made an enormous impact, I think, on not just the policy of the Labor Party, but the things that generally Labor Party meetings talk about. 360 branch meetings have considered the lean resolution, particularly around renewable energy, and passed it. Branches across the country, capital cities, inner city suburbs, peri-urban suburbs, regional branches across the country, with lean volunteers going out, getting on the agenda, and putting the case for Labor to get off the canvas after what was, frankly, a pretty difficult few years for us in climate change policy, and rediscover our ambition, rediscover our boldness in this area, and go to the next election promising a strong policy on climate change in the form of an emissions trading scheme and real ambition around renewable energy. So I really want to thank the volunteers and the people who've organised the campaign for Lean. In my almost 30 years in the party, I haven't been in the party as long as someone 
uh, of Jay's age, but uh, from my almost 30 years, my almost 30 years in the party, it is the best piece of policy organising I've ever seen, and by a considerable distance, it was fantastic. So thanks very much. We're at the crest of a wave, which is unstoppable, and it's going to bring a clean energy transformation to the globe. For the first time, technology is literally putting power back into the hands of the people. Clean, distributed solar energy, battery storage, smart energy management systems. The collision of of information technology and of energy uh, is going to have profound effects. Until now, the big power companies have been at the centre of the energy system. Well, this revolution will mean that now consumers, people who pay the bills, will be at the centre of the system, not the big power companies. Uh, in Australia, this represents the biggest transformational business opportunity that this country has ever seen. Uh, collectively, 1.5 million Australians have built a 4 gigawatt people's power plant. It's the solar people's power plant, right? Equivalent to four large-scale coal-fired power stations. Fantastic. Now, over the next decade, we're going to build the People's Snowy Hydro Scheme. (laughs) The People's Snowy Hydro Scheme. Uh, A collective, massive transformation of our energy sector that will lead to abundant, efficient and, best of all, clean energy solutions. Early last year, the Australian Solar Council started calling for at least 50% renewables by 2030. What was Mr Abbott's response? Broken promises. Ditched million solar roofs program. Vicious attacks that started on the day he was elected to roll back the renewable energy target. Vicious attacks on our research and development organisation. Arena, slashing $750 million worth of funding, tearing the heart out of Australia's renewable energy future, relenting attacks on the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. He's not about to stop. Well, it means, actually, for Mr Abbott that Australians have seen him to his soul. And friends, I'd like to tell you, it's covered in coal dust. (laughs) For the solar industry... This is our work choices money. Tony Abbott and his Luddite government have got to go. Our message to Labor for over a year has been be bold, campaign on this stuff. The public are massively on your side. Bill Shorten's 50% renewables announcement by 2030 before this conference was absolutely the right announcement to make. I'm so pleased to say that this campaign has been effective in coalition with all of those groups and working with insiders like Mark, who's been relentless in in convincing and bringing his parliamentary colleagues along on the journey. Um, Up until now, we've known who we were fighting against, but we haven't known who we're campaigning for. Well, when the resolution is passed at your conference this afternoon, there'll be no doubt who we're out there campaigning for. And today, the solar industry has already spent over a million dollars campaigning to save solar. Uh, We were active in the WA Senate by-election. We were extremely active in the Queensland state election. We ran TV ads, full-page newspaper ads, sent direct mail to 250,000 swinging voters made 300,000 robocalls. We've had a non-stop barrage of free media and we are always on from dawn to dusk to publicly put the message out that the Luddite Abbott and his sidekick Greg Hunt have got to go. We've run a strong marginal seats campaign in federal electorates, including in Petrie, in Eden Monero, in Barton, in Deacon, in Hindmarsh, in Herbert, and in Ford. Our message is so powerful because it shifts soft conservative voters. It's a pitch to the solar industry. 18,000 direct jobs, 
small business people, right? Tr- tradies, sparkies, a couple of vans and some apprentices. It's so powerful for renewable energy investors. It's so powerful for self-funded retirees. People who are taking out cost of living insurance by putting solar on their rooftops. These are the people that we will shift and I think it could be decisive in the the next election campaign. So some messages for you to share. First, Labor will take a portfolio approach in how they, they develop this. It's not taking the existing renewable energy target, putting it on steroids, and there's how we're going to do it. It's going to be using all sorts of policy mechanisms, the right policy at the right time to get the right outcome. I think that's really smart. Secondly, this is absolutely achievable. In fact, the economics of renewables will probably take us pretty close to that target with very little support at all. So it is the right policy, it is achievable. And it's massively popular. Poll after poll shows that Australians love solar. And why wouldn't you? So I I would say when you go out and you do your messaging, uh, um, be aware that the government has already started its fear campaign. The fear campaign says this is going to massively push up the cost of electricity. Well, friends, that's a lie. When you put more supply into the market, you push prices down. When you take a massive load off the grid infrastructure, you don't have to invest in gold plating our electricity network. These are savings for all Australians, not just for people who have solar on their rooftops. Um, Secondly, they'll say, we don't need the support. We're a mature industry. Make no mistake, we are at war. There are big vested interests that will hold on to their outdated business models for as long as they possibly can. Because the business model goes like this. Sell as many electrons as possible. Justify as much infrastructure spending as possible. That's how they make their money. And they do it under a monopoly, government-guaranteed scheme where where they, they can't fail, right? What a fantastic... Tell you what, I'd probably fight for that too if I was on that <laughs> but, but it's up to us to mobilise against that. So, so government has to be at the centre of this thing with its hands on a whole bunch of levers, right? So um, uh, it's an important message. Um, I, would, I would go out and I would talk about jobs. Uh, jobs being, tra- being changed. They're going to say all of these electricity workers are going to lose their jobs. Well, we, we are going to stand with business and the unions to make sure that nobody is left behind in this transformation. There are massive opportunities to transition communities, to transition workers, and we're committed to making sure that that happens. We're going to run a dedicated campaign in 20 marginal seats in the lead-up to the next federal election. Um, in our messaging, we're going to go strong on economics, <coughs> on economic arguments. We're going to talk about job creation, rural and regional development, infrastructure projects, global investment, lower power bills, more competition, control control for consumers, right? They are powerful messages. We're going to go hard on environmental messages. We're going to talk about the 20 to 25% emissions reductions that will come through this policy alone and the cleaner future promise that all of us can enjoy. So friends, together... We will put the Abbott government to the sword. We will create jobs. We will transform the economy. We will realise our true solar potential. And together with Labor, we will lead Australia to the clean energy future it deserves. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening. I, uh, when I walked into this room, it reminded me of one of the two solar forums I attended, which, uh, which were packed out, uh, which were filled by mums and dads and just ordinary Queenslanders 
who were concerned about the direction the government was taking Queensland in, in relation to solar energy. So uh, can I tilt my hat at the Solar Council for all of your hard campaigning work? I have no doubt that you made a significant contribution in terms of the result in Queensland. Uh, can I also... As Liliana has said, under Conservative rule in Queensland, um, our... Uh, I guess our momentum around transitioning to a low emissions economy took a big hit. It took a big hit not only under Tony Abbott, uh, but also under Campbell Newman, who made a decision that we would not duplicate efforts in the renewable energy space if the federal Labor government at the time were doing things uh, in that space. So every single renewable energy project in Queensland was cancelled. Large scale, small scale, domestic, as well as uh, getting rid of the feed-in tariff. Um, when they went to the election, they promised to keep Labor's feed-in tariff, and admit admittedly, and John and I will agree on this, it was a very generous feed-in tariff at 44 cents per kilowatt hour, uh, but they slashed it down to 8 cents and then introduced legislation to completely get rid of it altogether. Uh, I met uh, with a lot of small businesses uh, during the three years in opposition and going to the question that was raised uh, by the gentleman in the front um, after Jay's speech, uh, I know that a lot of small businesses, a lot of traders were doing it tough because of the double whammy caused by Tony Abbott and Campbell Newman in Queensland. And a lot of them folded. A lot of them put off staff and a lot of them folded because there was no certainty and there was actually an aggressive... Um, aggressive assault on solar users and the renewable energy sector in Queensland. Um, in fact, it got to the state, and I think this is what really rolled the Solar Council, which made them determined to campaign in Queensland, when the Treasurer of Queensland got up and said that uh, solar is only um, an issue for those inner city champagne sipping, latte sipping hippies or yuppies in, in Queensland and has no role other than that in the state. Um, so this riled Queenslanders and the almost half a million uh, solar users in Queensland and also riled the Queensland, uh, the uh, Solar Council and I think it made for a very good campaign in Queensland. It's true that Queensland, I think, has been a slow starter in terms of the renewable energy space. But since Anna Bly's leadership, since she assumed the premiership in 2007, we have more than made up for lost time. When Anna Bly became premier, there were only 1,000 solar rooftops in Queensland across the whole state. By the time Anna Bly left um, the position of premier, there were more than 340,000 solar rooftops. In fact, on the population projection across the state, the need for another coal-fired power station was completely mitigated by the incentives put around the increase in solar rooftop uptake. In fact, the generation of solar in Queensland is equivalent to a new coal-fired power station, and that is only growing, and it will only continue to grow whilst ever there is strong political leadership. And I guess that's what I'm really determined to say here today in terms of conveying to all of you here. Uh, there is a big international conference at the end of this year around uh, climate change and what the world can do in terms of reaching a position that we can all agree on. And we need to reach a position and we can only do that through political leadership, through community political leadership and through, um, I guess, the highest political leadership of, of every country. Um, and I think the Queensland experience can show us exactly how that happens. Uh, earlier this year, the University of Queensland solar farm came online, and this was a solar farm that was funded by both federal and state contributions. This is a solar farm that will, I think, identify the best way to store and transmit renewable, particularly solar energy, into the future. And I have no doubts that the, uh, the scientific escalation or discoveries in the area of renewable energy, particularly in terms of storage and transmission, will transform the way that people use and source their energy into the future. Uh, at the last election, Labor took a suite of policies to make sure that we made clear to the Queensland public that we were going to be a government that led the economic transition to a low emissions economy and that we would put in place a suite of policies to enable that. 
And can I particularly pay tribute to, again, the Solar Council for working with us uh, on those uh, key initiatives. Firstly, we are going to bring back a fair price for solar power. Uh, we will, will be establishing a, um, uh, a, um, a competition. Um, sorry, I'm, <laughs> it's not my portfolio, it's a treasurer's portfolio, and I'm not sure where he's up to. But our, our um, competition authority will be established soon, and they will embark upon a process of consulting with the community around what is a fair feeding price for solar. And that will address issues like uh, peak feeding pricing as well. Um, we have set a target of a million solar rooftops by the year 2020. That's only five years away. It's so very determined to catch up today in South Australia. <laughs> um, so if, uh, uh, if the rate of solar uptake continues to grow as exponentially as it has, uh, then we will more than reach that target, I have no doubt. We've also uh, made a decision to uh, replicate the ACT's uh, reverse option in terms of solar uh, production. So we are looking for investors to come online for a solar farm to generate uh, 40 megawatts of power feeding to the grid. Um, and we're quite excited about that. In fact, the Premier recently took a trip uh, to the United States. I went to Europe uh, to represent Queensland at UNESCO. And, uh, Everyone is investing in renewable energy. Uh, the only country that is hostile to renewable energy investment seems to be Australia under the leadership of Tony Abbott. Uh, but can I say uh, that there are so many uh, investors who are hungry to invest in the future, in the low emissions economy of the future. And uh, we have been talking to them and we have been inviting them to Queensland particularly because we know that Queensland is a superb state uh, to invest particularly in solar. We've also been talking to local councils and also the local government minister about uh, enabling them to go off the grid uh, so that they can actually power their own uh, utilities locally through solar energy. And many of them are incredibly interested in looking at doing that. Uh, the generation of power in Queensland is incredibly expensive because of the vast state that we have and the fact that it is an incredibly decentralised state. And because of that, um, power generation costs a bucket and councils are really looking at how they can uh, enable uh, lower costs around that power generation, particularly many of the remote Indigenous councils. Um, and uh, finally, I guess it is all about uh, the political leadership and the investment dollar in order to get where we're going faster and to meet our targets. And under uh, both Anastasia Palaszczuk, uh, the Energy Minister Mark Bailey, who sends his apologies today, but also myself, we are keen and hungry to get as much investment dollar that we can in Queensland to show uh, that we are a state prepared to make the transition to a low emissions economy. Thank you very much. Love hearing the positive stuff you're doing in Queensland, and thank you. Uh, as someone actively campaigning against the Adani Combine, though, I've been very disappointed in the Queensland government's attitude to that. Can you make any comment on that, please? Because that simply can't go ahead on any reasonable scenario. Uh, I'm happy to make a comment on that. In fact, I've been talking to a number of uh, key academics in this space, and I think it's clear to, um, I think it's important to be clear that Labor did not go to the election saying that we would stop the Adani comma. We did not say that, um, and it's certainly not our position. Uh, what we did say at the election is Adani could not go ahead unless they had reached financial close. And that means a whole range of issues, including the uh, dredging project, including the construction of the rail line, including a whole uh, uh, range of associated infrastructure to do with the mine, uh, could only proceed where there was financial policy, and that is yet to occur. Um, so I think it's important that we put our position on the table, and I'm really clear with people about that. Uh, I understand all of the issues regarding the associated emissions with that mining project, absolutely. Um, but as I started saying before, I've been talking to quite a few academics, um, particularly in relation to advances in technology and what we can do uh, to make um, the resourcing or the extraction of coal uh, something that could be uh, better uh, managed with emissions better mitigated by advances in technology. Now, you know, I know that's probably uh, not as uh, simple or not as satisfactory an answer as we will stop the mine, but Queensland relies upon its resource extraction. It has for many, many, many decades 
and uh, there are a lot of jobs in that project. And you know, unless uh, the spot price of coal continues to decline and nobody is particularly interested in it and nobody is prepared to back it, uh, then this project will go ahead. I'd like to mention the Pacific Warriors who came here last year and they sailed in the port of Newcastle. They made a big highlight of the connection between the coal that we're exporting and the climate change that they're experiencing. And I was a bit disappointed yesterday. I was in a forum and the Deputy Premier of Queensland was here and the question was asked, well, what are you going to do about the Adani Coal Legality Basin? And she said, well, basically, if they pass all the planning requirements, that project will go ahead and we need the jobs. And I think the Labor Party for a long time has been really conflicted about this. Obviously, it's a huge conflict of interest. But I'm hoping to hear a bit more leadership about that. What are we going to do about the coal that we can't export? We had a surprise visitor. It was Bill Shorten, and he gave us the final rather punchy version that you may have missed in the media of the ALP's policy, which they'll take to the election. I just want to thank you all, really. I acknowledge the Solar Council. There's many distinguished activists committed to uh, the expansion of renewable energy in this country sitting up at the front, and indeed throughout this room. I think when we look back at this conference, if we were to meet in 10 years' time, we'd say, what did happen what did we decide at this conference? And I think we can all agree that one of the things which we did agree at this conference is that the Labor Party absolutely committed to a renewable energy future in this country. Australians don't expect government to sit in their living room and work out every question with them about their lives. Australian people, they're organising their future anyway. They understand they're living longer than ever before. They understand they want to have healthier lives as a result of living longer. They understand that you'll have multiple jobs in the future and you need multiple skills in the future. They understand it's important to have interests outside of work. They get that it's important to smooth your prosperity over a longer life. They also understand, I believe, the increasing importance of sustainability. For me, sustainability is not just an environmental question, although it clearly is. I talk about sustainability in relationships and the way we treat each other, the way we organise our communities, the way people work. But for me, I think a lot of Australians have already worked out some of the questions of the future. They know that we need to have sustainable energy. Australians are very interesting people and they are very interested in things Perhaps not so much in politics, but certainly in a lot of other things. <laughs> you know, I think if the Labor Party can help explain to Australians what the future looks like, people are interested in the way their houses will be designed. They're interested in what sort of cars they might drive. They're interested in how we preserve our environment and improve it. As I said, we are an interesting people. And that's where I think the role of government comes in. And the role of politics comes in. As I said, people don't expect you to be in the living room with them, living their lives. They do expect governments to navigate the future and to talk about the future and to explain to Australians what the future's like. And this proposition that Australians are already organising their lives anyway, I think, holds. And what they want to see from government or political debate or parliament is a sense that the government gets how Australians are organising their lives for the future. And renewable energy is part of that navigation of the future. Now, the Solar Council's been very, very active, plenty of activists here, plenty of very committed political leaders here, um, already about renewable energy. But this is where this conference comes in. We are the great Australian Labor Party. People expect more of Labor than they do of Liberal, which is somewhat fortunate. <laughs> and we are the mainstream party of the left. People actually expect us to make the big calls. <coughs> Our movement is always at its finest when we set the long-term directions, when we present a picture of Australia as future-focused. So that's where I think our 50% goal for renewable energy is an eminently sensible decision. Some people are saying it's bold. I don't know what the Greens are saying. Um, <laughs> and then there's the follow-up question. 
who cares? Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, people do expect us to talk about the bold direction. And that's, you know, I think the more you investigate the question of the environmental and economic benefits of renewable energy, it doesn't make our decision bold, it just makes it so obvious, really. If we explain to Australians what the future looks like and what we think our destination should be, it's up to us to win the argument. In my speech yesterday morning, I focused perhaps on, a to on the consequences of climate change, and you already know it. Maybe some of you wanted to uh, get into the detail of how we roll it out and make it work. I guess I'm saying I think we need to spend a bit more time reminding Australians of the consequences of climate change, the importance of sustainability. You now, we've got a lot to work with, especially when you talk about solar power, but not just solar power. People get it. Been interesting watching some of those commercial television ads, you know, with the van of the grey nomads turning up, <laughs> stealing the solar power off someone else's roof. It's a very powerful ad. We sure could have used it five or six years ago. Um, <laughs> but better late than never. We do need to campaign now. We will be subject to the Hollywood of all horror film campaigns. <laughs> but we do have to go out and explain why why climate change is real, why we can tackle it, the role of renewable energy in generating investment, jobs, tackling pollution. Uh, we can win this argument, but we have to be a, a party who does some of the basics and returns to our fundamentals. We do not own the newspapers of Australia. Mind you, only 10% of people even take them seriously, and probably not even that take them seriously. We don't own all the media outlets. We don't own all the vested interests that we see arrayed against us. But what we do have on our side is an optimism about human nature and our fellow citizens. People get it. If when the Labor Party is proposing policies which go with the grain of the way Australians are organising their lives and dreams for the future, we win. We win, we win, and we keep winning. So the work of the Solar Council is very important. I haven't been possible to get to all of the fringe events, but I didn't want to miss this one. Um, I'm conscious you can have a great discussion, plenty of views, plenty of people putting policies into practice and plenty of ideas about how we should do it. But I know that when I met with some of the leaders here as we were working out the renewable energy target, the solar industry and the proponents of solar citizens and um, all of the various people who believe in it took a little bit of Mark Butler and I on trust and we said we'll compromise on the renewable energy target because we want to just save it. It's a lot easier to repair the damage and start from scratch. But there was an element of faith that we would then measure up in our post-2020 targets. Probably to the relief of my friends. And so I think we have measured up. I can draw straight politics for one moment at the end. We know the government wants to scare everyone. We know the government is never happier when they're telling us to trim our expectations. It has ever been thus in the battle between conservatism and progress in Australian politics. They want us to be afraid of the future. They want us to be afraid of immigrants. They want us to be afraid of the existential threats to the Australian way of life. No, I'm not. But what I will say, what I will say, is that when we appeal to the optimism, when we appeal to the future, when we appeal to the sense that the future is something which, whilst it can be challenging, is something which is exciting, then we win. And I have no doubt that when we promote our propositions around renewable energy, we can win. But the politics of this will require, are we capable of going one day longer than our opponents? Are we capable of promoting hope and optimism over fear and pessimism one day longer than our detractors? I am sure we are, but we will need every individual Australian committed to explaining to Australians the benefits of a 50% renewable energy goal we have the better argument, we have the better prospect, we have the better vision of the future, but we do need to do it. Thank you very much. When the ALP delegates were voting, several people stepped up to speak to various amendments. The coal workers are represented by the CFMEU, and although I didn't catch all the names, I think they were saying that as climate action was necessary, they would go along with the party platform on climate action as long as communities and workers aren't abandoned, which, you know, Victorians will think of the Latrobe Valley, uh, New South Wales people will think of Gal uh, Hunter Valley and Queensland as Galilee Basin. None of us want those carbon-intensive uh, communities to be left behind. 
I reckon, a visionary plan from the Labour Party for workers and for jobs of the futures is urgently needed to redeploy people and reskill them. So these speakers, I haven't got their names, but it was in this giant forum uh, at the ALP conference. Use your imagination. If you bring people together, you can protect jobs, you can grow jobs, and you can do enhance the environment. That's important. But another reason I come to the to like is basically to make a, a few points that things that do need to be said. We've achieved much in this area. But it wasn't always easy. There was a time when the Labor Party achieved environmental gains, quite frankly, by selling the jobs of workers from under their feet. For green preferences, they just smashed communities and smashed jobs. And at times, our union had to face a situation where we had to go after the Labor Party. Some of the things that people celebrate cost people's jobs, smashed towns. But what I'm happy to report that over the last few years that's changed. We work together. We work together as unions. We work together as a party. We work together in government, and we achieve better results with community support. And that's the way. That's the Labor way. The, the powerhouse of this nation in terms of energy production, but change is coming, and we can take on that change in two ways. We can adopt the other approach. We can put our head in the sand, we can do nothing until carbon tariffs are imposed upon us, when we become the Rust Belt economy of the Asian Pacific, or we can embrace that change. We can realise the opportunities of that change, we can be part of the clean energy industrial revolution and have many prosperous and secure jobs going to the next century. But to do that, we need a comprehensive policy. We can't just do gimmicks. And the strength of this resolution is a comprehensive approach, an approach grounded on an emissions trading scheme, the most efficient way of combating climate change, supported by very strong renewables policies with a 50% goal by 2030, and very importantly, decent fair income structural adjustment policies. Because the worst thing we can do is bullshit affected communities. We need to work with communities that are affected by change. We need to have proper conversations with them, the workers, industry, unions, about how we grow the jobs of the future. Because this will be a challenge, but they're up for embracing it. And these comprehensive policies will drive that change. A strong ETS, strong renewables policy, strong industry policy so we have manufacturing jobs associated with it and proper decent structural adjustment to deliver fair transition. And I'm confident this country can embrace it. This country once led the world in solar research. We can do it again. The Hunter Valley is uniquely placed. We won't be dragged kicking and screaming along in this debate. We can lead the nation. We've got the best energy workforce in the country. We've got great transmission infrastructure. We've got great research facilities, including the CSIRO's Clean Energy flagship and the National Institute of Energy Research at the University of Newcastle. So I'm proud to say that if we do this properly, if Labor leads the way, the Hunter Valley won't stop being an energy hub. We'll just move from a fossil fuel energy hub to a clean energy hub. And I proudly commend this resolution to the For conservation of the history of our planet was when Bob Hawke and Michelle Rocard decided to make sure that far from Antarctica being an area for mining, Antarctica would be an area for conservation. We from this country, we from this party and from this conference have our fingerprints all over the most comprehensive environmental decisions the world has seen. It's our legacy, it's our party, and it's something we need to keep delivering. Delegates, let us make it clear to people in the science community. The Labor Party is your party. The Labor Party is the best friend that sciences have ever had. I commend the amendment. It is this conference that it has shown us all that it is okay to call yourself an environmentalist in our party. And it is this conference that has brought together all aspects of our party, our industrial wing, 365 and our parliamentary party to further our great project, to create a just and fair society.
interest in the quality of life for all, including people's rights to clean air, clean water, healthy food, and safe life. Be proud of the ALP when you report this conference back to your branches and to your unions about the action we are taking today on the environment. Delegates, it is only the Labor Party that delivers for our environment, and more importantly, it is only the Labor Party that can deliver for our environment and deliver for working people. I urge you to support the motion. Get lost in science. Tune in to 3CR every week to hear Beth, Chris and Stuart discuss news and issues from the universe that is science. Get informed and learn a bit more about the world around you. Lost in Science can be heard every Thursday at 8.30 in the morning and is repeated the following Tuesday at 6am. Word to the nerd. You can also download a podcast. Go to the website at www.3cr.org.au and get lost in science. And this is the Beyond Zero Emissions show. The last piece tonight is an interview by Michael McKenzie from Radio National, and thank you to him for his excellent broadcasting. He is speaking to Professor Roger Dargaville from Melbourne University about how the 50% by 2030 target could be achieved. To look at how realistic the target is, I'm joined in the studio by Dr. Roger Dargaville. Roger's the Deputy Director and Senior Energy Analyst at the Melbourne Energy Institute, which is part of the University of Melbourne. Roger, can I begin by setting you this scene? It's now 2030. I walk out my door. You're with me. I want you to paint me a picture of what Australia in the streets and across the landscape looks like if we reach a target as proposed by Labor of 50% renewable. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on the show. So, uh, 2030, we're going to have, if, if Labor's plan uh, comes to fruition, 50% renewable. So that means, as you said, you know, four to five uh, times more wind farms uh, and solar PV out there than what we currently have. Right. So that's uh, that means we have 25 gigawatts of wind by, by 2030, and probably, well, and depending on what the policy settings are, around about 18 gigawatts of rooftop PV compared to the four and a half that we currently have. Okay, so let's let's convert that into uh, some kind of visual. Uh, so in terms of wind power, how much of our urban coastline, our rural coastline, other parts of our landscape be dominated by turbine? Uh, it'll, it'll still only be dotted. With, with, with wind farms. If, if you go out today and, and drive for a couple hundred kilometres in rural Victoria or New South Wales, well, in fact, New South Wales, you'd be very lucky to, to pass a wind farm, but in, in Victoria, South Australia, you, you might see a few. So, you know, you, if you saw you know, five or six in a hundred kilometre drive instead, you'd still hardly say it was wall-to-wall turbines. For the uh, rooftop PV, um, what, what we might see is uh, as high as 50% penetration, so every second home would have a rooftop PV system. What's uh, that now in terms of home numbers? Uh, nationally, one in ten. Uh, if you go to places like Brisbane or uh, South Australia in general, Adelaide, it's more like one in four. So uh, quite a lot more PV, um, and there will probably be issues with managing uh, the power that comes from those PV systems. Because Let's talk about that. Yeah. I do want to know about this. So if we're going to achieve a 50% renewable target by 2030, as as proposed by Labor, of course, it's 90% when it comes to the Greens in that same year, but that's another story. So when it comes to that, the, the, the power that we're converting from ray of light on our roofs is going back to a power company or is it being stored on site for our use in 2030? Well, it depends whether you install storage or not. So uh, if you don't use the power uh, in your home, so if you're not at home during the day, for example, then that power needs to be exported back onto the grid. If everyone has PV and not enough people are at home using that power in, in a residential neighbourhood, then that power has to be moved from that residential area maybe to a commercial or industrial zone where that power can be consumed. The um, distribution system is not designed to do that. It's sort of designed for a one-way flow of power coming from... To the house, to the factory. That's right. And so to go back the other way would require a bit of retrofitting of the system, possibly uh, quite expensive. So there's some additional costs that we... Uh, 
it's hard to say at this stage what, what they would be. Now, this is where it all gets political because one of the arguments against changing to renewables from those people in favour of more traditional fossil fuel-based energy sources like coal is that the transition to renewable will cost so much that first it will outweigh some of the initial savings you may make in the longer term, but B, um, consumers, you and I sitting at home are going to see enormous increases in our power bills. What can you say about that? Uh, so we did some uh, back of the envelope calculations as to what this might cost. If you're going to build an extra 20 gigawatts of wind, uh, that will cost uh, around about $40 billion. So I think uh, uh, Tony Abbott mentioned $60 billion, so I mean, in, in the ballpark. So these are quite well, big. a third off, but yeah, okay. Well, I mean, it's not an order of magnitude, so it's, it's not too bad compared to... Um, other numbers we might have heard. So it's, it's quite a lot of money, but if you compare that to what we actually currently spend on energy each year, which is about $8 billion wholesale price. So if you average that over 20 years and compare that to the 40-odd the billion you've got to spend on wind, mm. it's actually not a big increase. So but that's just wind. You haven't mentioned solar yet. Well, solar is pretty cost-effective as it is, so um, that doesn't really incur an additional cost. It pays for itself right. quite quickly. Uh, and an interesting point that uh, probably hasn't been mentioned to date is that by, by 2030, uh, about 12 gigawatts of our existing coal and gas-fired capacity will be more than 50 years old. So past its use-by date. So when you say, is there, is there a, a, an actual cut-off, a deadline built into contracts for supply of coal when it comes to half a century, is it? Uh, well, no, there's, there's no, no clause saying you have to shut the power station down at, at, at 50 years of lifetime, but at that kind of life, they start becoming very expensive to maintain, their efficiency gets lower and lower, and the, the costs might outweigh the, the, the profits. So uh, they, they tend to you know, look to shut them down and, and rebuild something new. My guest is Dr. Roger Dargaville, who's the Deputy Director and Senior Energy Analyst at the Melbourne Energy Institute. And that was Michael McKenzie from the Radio National uh, Station, quite possibly from RN Afternoons, where he's hosting a show. That's the show from Beyond Zero Emissions for tonight. We've been at the ALP conference and we heard from Mark Butler, the Shadow Minister for Climate Change, John Grimes, the CEO for Australia, the Australian Solar Council, Jackie Trad, Deputy Premier from Premier from Queensland and uh, Bill Shorten, the leader of the opposition, the ALP, was in there. There was also some unnamed conference speakers from the CFMEU and others about redeploying workers. Thanks to all those people and to Vivian for sitting through the conference to record those items. Just a reminder that tonight is the monthly Beyond Zero Emissions Discussions Group, which is held at 251 Faraday Street, Carlton. You've just got time to get to that if you scoot out the door. So it's at 251 Faraday Street, Carlton, in the Kathleen Syme Library and Community Centre, in the multi-purpose room number one. And tonight it's Dr David Whaley, an engineer and research associate at the University of South Australia. He's talking on zero energy housing, uh, reporting back on some data from a, a near zero energy housing development in Adelaide. So as I said, that's at 251 Faraday Street. We'd love to see you there. Right, and just our thanks for putting the show together tonight, which is a big effort on the part of Vivian, Miwa, Roger and Teddy. Uh, thanks to them, and we'll see you all next week.